This is Penned In, the podcast for all things bookish. My name is Anna Kate Meadler, and I'm here to help you find your next read. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 18 of Penned In. For this week's episode, I interviewed fantasy author Jason Duro, who wrote Akathar's Greatest Trick, which is the first book in the Teshovar series. I have interviewed one other author on this podcast before, but this episode will be the first of a new series I'm introducing on this podcast called Author Talk where I talk to authors about the publishing, about their lives outside of writing, and more. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. What is your process for writing a fantasy series? Well, my process for writing fantasy is pretty much the same as the process I use for any kind of writing. I'm a big outliner, and I have to plan everything in advance. I have never been able to just discovery write or do pantsing or whatever you want to call that. I always have to plan everything out in great detail, just down to the individual chapters and scenes and know exactly what I'm going to write when I sit down to write it. When did you first know you wanted to be a writer? I've wanted to write since I was very young. When I was in like elementary school and that age, I thought I wanted to be a mystery writer at first because I was very into Agatha Christie and that kind of stuff. At that time, I would write mystery short stories and would try to come up with those kinds of things. And then for a while, when I was in college, I kind of got out of writing for a while because I was in college for computer science, which was a lot different than writing. And it sort of took away that part of creativity for a little while. And then after I finished college, I was more into sci-fi and fantasy and speculative fiction kind of stuff. And so I got back into writing and realized that was what I was supposed to be doing. So after that, I sort of got back on track and ended up not really using my computer science degree. (laughs) Do you remember the first story you've ever written? Oh my goodness. It probably was some kind of mystery. I don't remember the specific one, but it was probably some kind of Agatha Christie derivative murder mystery kind of thing where I was a little kid thinking I was an old British woman (laughs) writing. I don't remember the specific story, but I, I would think it would be that kind of thing probably. Why did you choose to go into computer science in college? At the time that I went to college, it was kind of a different landscape because I'm the generation that started off not being on the internet and then the internet became a thing while I was young and then got on the internet after that. And at the time I went to college, it was all kind of still a developing kind of thing. Of course, the internet was around and everybody was on it, but everybody was saying computer science is where the money is. That's what you need to do. And because you enjoy doing stuff on the computer, you of course need to be a computer science major. And so I kind of listened to a lot of guidance counselors and people who thought they were giving me good advice at that time. And I went the computer science route. And the biggest thing that I learned from that is that I am not a computer scientist. (laughs) So that was why I went that route, but I'm glad that I kind of figured things out afterwards. Has there been a learning curve for you at all, being the generation that's come into this whole internet age, using it in like your marketing and your writing process? 
there's kind of a learning curve with everything, I think. But as far as using the internet, I grew up with computers. I'm not uh, that that generation that didn't have computers growing up, but it's just sort of the internet became a thing while I was in, I guess, like middle school, maybe, or like high school, it became a thing. I know the generations now grow up with the internet always having been there. It was just sort of that difference there. But as far as learning curves, there's a huge learning curve to the way that I got published. I'm self-published, and there's so much to learn as far as that goes. It doesn't really even have to do with technology. It's just about how to format your book, well, how to get a good copy cover and what kind of cover you need for what genre and the best ways to promote what works and what doesn't as far as paid marketing versus non-paid marketing. So there's a huge learning curve for self-publishing, but I think it's really worth it. I'm super glad that I decided to go self-publishing instead of traditional. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of indie publishing? It's probably a couple of things. One is that it's not a cheap thing to do. It's very expensive up front. With traditional publishing, you get an advance up front from the publisher and you get money up front. You don't have to really put money into it. And it's the opposite with self-publishing. There's a big investment up front where you have to pay for your covers. You have to pay for editing. You have to pay for all the stuff the publisher would pay for. It pays off in the future because you get better royalties and better percentages than you would through traditional but it is a big investment up front. Sort of second thing that's a big challenge there is figuring out exactly how to market yourself. And I think that's a thing for traditional as well, because all authors have to figure out the social media thing and figure out where they fit into the market. But finding that and not having a, you know, an established team to kind of help guide you a little bit is a challenge. Why did you choose to go the indie route? Oh my goodness, there are so many reasons too. When I first had written my first book and was ready to be published, I was fully planning to go traditional because at that time I had this perception of self-publishing and indie that was incorrect. It was a perception that that's kind of where you fail down to if you can't get published traditionally. And I think a lot of people feel that way. But after I started looking into it, I realized that it's just an alternate way. It's two choices that both are valid to go traditional or to go indie. And under indie, you can get so much better royalties than you can through traditional. For example, my uh, my book that I have right now that's on Amazon, it's on Kindle Unlimited, all of that, I get for each uh, ebook copy, I get 70% of the amount that someone pays for it. Whereas with a traditional publisher, I have friends who are published similarly that they get maybe like 10% of the sales through that. So monetarily, it makes a lot of sense to go indie. I also am very big about having control over my creativity. And the series that I'm writing right now is Epic Fantasy and is going to be nine books. I don't think a traditional publisher would have picked that up from a first-time author. I think that would have been too big of a risk for them. And so I'm able to lay out what I want to do. I'm able to come up with my own plans that are not held back by a publisher. I can pick my own covers. I can decide when I want to come out with an audiobook and make all those decisions that typically I wouldn't have control over. Those are the biggest things that made me want to go self-publishing. You're writing book two of that fantasy series, correct? Right. The first book came out last year in July. And then there's also a prequel novella that I released for free that I'm giving away as what I call Reader Magnet. It's uh, through my mailing list. If someone signs up for the mailing list, they get that for free. The first full book is on Amazon, on Kindle Unlimited and paperback and hardcover. And the second one is what I'm writing right now, the second full novel. Do you already have an outline for all nine books or do you just kind of write the book and then from there you kind of decide? 
I have an, sort of a series outline that breaks down what the overall arc of the series is going to be, and it's divided into nine books, which is going to be a trilogy of trilogies. It's uh, in sets of three books that go together. I have all of that planned out, uh, what needs to happen in each of the books, but I don't have all of that broken down to the specific chapter and scene level just yet. But when I start writing each book, I take what I know needs to happen in that book, and I do break it down into chapters and then into scenes. And when I outline, I go down to the detail of who's going to be in the scene, what the conflict in the scene needs to be, what kind of conversations they need to have. So it needs to be really detailed before I even sit down to write the first word on the actual draft. How did you come up with the idea for Akathar's Greatest Trick? It's the first in the series, and so I conceptualized the idea for the series first and sort of figured out where it needed to start, where the jumping on point needed to be for the series. But the overall idea came from the idea of the setting more so than anything else. It's set in a realm called Teshavar, which is also the name of the series, and it's a realm where real magic exists, but is outlawed by a tyrant that rules the realm, is outlawed uh, real magic, and the main character, Akathar, in the first book is a stage magician who is working in this realm where real magic is outlawed, and that idea, just sort of the concept of that came to me, and I thought it was intriguing to see how someone like that would fit into a place where the thing they're pretending to be is illegal and to figure out the conflicts around that. And then, of course, from there, the story grows and becomes much bigger over the course of the nine books. But that was sort of the initiating thing where it started from. Do you have any idea when book two is going to be released? It's going to be this year. I don't have a specific date for it just yet because I'm still drafting it. But uh, it will be this year, and I am I want to get it out as soon as I can, but it just is taking a while. It's going to be longer than the first one, so it's taking a little bit longer to get it done. But it definitely will be a 2022 release, and I'm trying to do at least a book a year at this point. How do you decide when you are going to release your books? Is it just immediately once you finish drafting, or is it a bit later? Well, I go through, I do the first draft, and then I go through and I do a few rounds of editing initially before I give it to any alpha or beta or anything like that to read. After I do the initial drafting and the initial editing, I'll give it to my best friend who's my alpha reader. They'll read it and get it back to me, and I'll make some changes there. And then I go through the beta reading process where I have, on the last book, I think I had about six or seven beta readers that did it, and I'll probably do something similar this time. And then after making all those revisions and everything, then I will be able to firm up the book and get the final version in place. And at that time, I pretty much will know how long it'll take to do all the things like getting the cover together and all that, and I can actually put a time on it. My overall general goal is to try to get at least a book a year out. I don't really put a date on it until it gets through all the writing and editing process because I don't want to put an artificial deadline. Since I'm self-published, that's one of the perks of doing that. I don't have to be beholden to the publisher's schedule. And so I want to make each book as good as I can. And if I have to take some time with it, maybe miss some artificial deadlines, then that's okay as long as the book itself ends up being as good as possible. As Indy, where do you look to find your editors and your beta readers and also cover designs? For the first book, I didn't hire a professional editor. I did editing myself, and then I had a really good group of betas that helped me with the making suggestions and going through and finding problems and even doing proofreading and things like that. Honestly, I wouldn't have been able to afford an editor at that stage because I hadn't published anything yet. Editing for a book that big, the first one was 170,000 words, so that would have been really expensive, like in the many thousands of dollars. 
So I couldn't do it at that time. Going forward, I would like to work with an editor and we'll look into that and see what the expense looks like. That's going to be something I'm going to have to learn myself, I think, a bit. But as far as the cover artist, I found a really good cover designer. Her name is Fran, and I found her by just sort of searching online and looking at different artists' websites and finding looks that I liked and that I thought fit my series and fit the genre. She sells through 99designs through that website, uh, but I found her outside of it through just her own website and was able to talk with her and get that negotiated. And so that's where my cover came from. As far as layout, I do the layouts myself using software called Vellum that is really good for layouts. It makes layouts really easy and you, you have to have a Mac to do it, which I do everything on Windows. So I had to figure out how to make a Mac virtual machine on my Windows computer, which I, I don't even know how I did that. I followed YouTube tutorials or something. <laughs> or something. But as far as beta readers and uh, alpha readers, I, on the previous one, relied on people that I already knew, relied on friends who I knew were into the genre, some of whom are writers themselves, and was able to sort of pull from that pool. Now that I have published the first book, and I have more of a following on TikTok, and have more people who know who I am, I feel like the next time, at least for ARC readers, I'll be able to maybe put out a call on TikTok and find some new folks to bring in like that. So it's going to be an interesting experience experience because when I published the first book, I had nobody paying any attention to me at all. Nobody knew anything about what I was doing. And now I have a little more of a, a following, I guess, and have more people that I feel like I could interest in helping me with it. How do you find time to write and also market and do everything that comes with being an indie author? I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out myself. I had a pretty good schedule before I came to TikTok, to be honest. I was able to get things scheduled. And I also, um, in my day job, I'm a voiceover artist. So I do that as well. I was able to do things, keep things on track. And then I came to TikTok and I'm trying to keep up consistently with posting video content and being active with the community there. And I underestimated the amount of time that would take. Since I came to TikTok, my sleep schedule has just gone out the window <laughs> and I'm trying to get things back on track with that. But that is a struggle is finding the time for everything. You mentioned you were a voiceover artist. What is that experience like? Yeah, I've been doing voiceovers for, I guess, it's probably almost a decade or over a decade now I've been doing that. I started out with a friend. I had a podcast that we would talk about TV shows and movies and things that we were interested in like that. We did that for about eight years and then we stopped. That was just for fun. And after I did that, I was kind of missing recording and talking on mic and just wanted to find something else that I could do like that. I thought, well, I wonder if I could do any kind of professional voiceovers. So just on a whim one day, I went on the website fiverr.com and made a profile there and said basically, hey, I can do voiceovers. And somehow the very first client I got through there was Coca-Cola, the PR company that they worked with that sort of spread my name around and it started snowballing from there. I do mostly corporate voiceovers. It's like doing ads and doing training videos and sometimes doing YouTube narration. I do a little bit of animation and video games as well, but I tend not to do those. It's more like the corporate kinds of things, but it's fun to do. What would you say is your favorite thing that you've ever voiced over? 
it's kind of funny because my favorite thing that sticks out in my mind, I've done a lot of stuff for like big companies, but there's this one voiceover that I did that was a student. I'm not sure where they were. I think it might've been in Spain or somewhere that they were doing a class presentation and they hired me to narrate their presentation. And I don't remember the whole script, but I remember it was really funny. And it was something about someone that was angry that they didn't have caviar or something like that. And it was intentionally a ridiculous script and I really enjoyed doing it. And that one just sticks out in my mind because it wasn't like one of the Coca-Cola ones or one of the, like I've done for all Barilla Pasta and different companies like that. It wasn't one of the big ones like that. It was just a student that had me do it. And it was a really fun one to do. What advice would you give to aspiring authors? The biggest piece of advice that I give to people, and it sounds kind of trite to say it, but it's just to finish the first draft because there are so many people who start writing books. They will start off, whether they're outlining or whether they're doing discovery writing or however they do it, they will start out. And I read a statistic that only 3% of people who start a book actually finish writing it. And so if you get through and finish writing that first draft, you're already so much closer to getting published and getting out there than so many other people who just want to be a writer. So if you find a way that you can start writing and just add a few words a day or whatever schedule you need to be on just to add to it and build up that draft so that you finish the first draft, if you do that, I think you are well on the way to being a published writer. So that's the biggest tip I'll give is just find a way to finish that first draft. Would you say then the first draft is probably the most challenging part of the writing process? It varies from person to person. For me, I think editing is a little bit harder than writing the first draft. I know some people who the first draft is sort of the fun part for them. That's the part that's really easy to get out. And some people, it's the hard part that it's difficult. So it really varies from person to person. For me, the easiest part of writing is when I'm doing the first draft and I get to the end of the first draft, I always find endings really easy for me because I outline. And so when I'm writing a draft, I have been thinking about the ending the whole time. And I've been sort of, I've had that going around in my head. So I've known where everything's going. So when I get to the end, it's practically already written for me. And the beginning is the challenging part. But I have friends who are writers who the complete opposite is true. The beginning is the easy part. And then they don't know how they want to end it when they get there. So it it really varies from one person to another. If you had to write in any other genre besides fantasy, I'm curious, what would it be? I would probably write in mystery again, because that's where I started out. And I still have a really firm foundation and huge love for uh, sort of the classic mysteries, the old British kind of mysteries, or even up to more modern thriller mysteries. So if I didn't do fantasy, I probably would write that. And I have toyed with the idea of finding a way to sort of mash the two together, all sort of epic fantasy mysteries or putting some sort of suspense into that and combining the two. But that's that's where I can see myself writing if I didn't do fantasy. Well, I realize we are reaching the end of our time. So that will be my last question to you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure doing it and I've had a great time talking with you. Want to learn more about Jason Duro? Then check out his website linked in the description below. There, you'll find information about all his projects, including links to his social media. And that's all for this week. As always, thank you so much for listening in. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast and tune in next time to Penned In on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, 
or Spotify. Spotify.